Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Calera, Alabama. Patreon fam, you're getting two new episodes today, but small talk sucks, so let's dive in. West, otherwise known as Cat West, was a bombshell blonde with a no-holds-barred love for her idol Marilyn Monroe, and honestly, they kind of looked alike. She had that women-supporting-women, self-sufficient, do-you-love-yourself kind of vibe before it was a trend. Cat was a huge personality that no one could ignore and seemed to find the perfect yin to her yang with her husband Jeff. He was soft-spoken, confident, and in the military— The two got married in 2004, and the army took them all over the country. I'm talking Florida, California, you name it, they were there. But in 2005, they settled down in Calera, Alabama with their then nine-year-old daughter and built their forever home. And this was a big deal because back in 2007, they'd filed for bankruptcy. And now they weren't just buying a house, they were building one in this beautiful suburb of Alabama. Everything seemed to be perfect for the first time in a long time, but that perfection would only last another three years before it would all come crumbling down, piece by piece by piece. A little after 5 a.m. on Saturday, January 13th, 2018, AL.com reports that a 19-year-old girl who lived across the street from Cat and Jeff was heading off to work when she noticed something in the street. She went to take a closer look, and it was a body. The body of a woman, a woman wearing only a pink sports bra. She was lying face down with her legs in their yard and her upper body in the street. Her head was laying in a pool of blood that was running down the road in the melting snow that they had just had, and it was clear that she'd been hit in the head and that she was dead. Beside the body was a phone that had a green liquor bottle placed neatly on top of it, and a little further away was a matchbook from a local restaurant. The 19-year-old called 911 to report a dead woman in her yard, and the police rushed to the scene. When they got there, Jeff came across the street with a cigarette in his hand and said, What's going on? That's my wife. Cool, calm, and collected, he said, That's my wife, and put his cigarette out on the ground. The officer explained to him that his wife was unfortunately dead and walked him back to his house where Jeff told him that he'd been sleeping when the dog started barking at the police presence outside and woke him up. Detectives spent most of the day that day at the West House. No one really heard much about what was going on inside, but noticed the constant police presence throughout the day. This isn't a place where things like this happen. Calera has roughly one murder per year, so this had everyone's attention. And I mean everyone. One of their neighbors even drove by eight hours later and took a picture of Cat's blood still pooled on the road and posted it to Facebook. Four days go by without a single word from law enforcement until January 17th when they announced that even though they don't know Cat's cause of death yet, they're treating her investigation as a homicide. And this has her neighbors freaking out. Is there a killer on the loose? Why Cat? If it could be Cat, then it could be any of us. That's until the media really started picking up this case. And they let the world know that this beautiful, well-loved, Marilyn Monroe-esque stay-at-home mom was also a cam girl. 42-year-old Cat West had an OnlyFans account, an account that had over 800 subscribers, according to social media. 
Her subscription price was $15.99 a month, which would make her income almost $13,000 a month. That newfound financial freedom is making a lot more sense now, because Jeff certainly wasn't rolling in the dough at his job as an unsworn community campus security officer. Think Paul Blart. Once news of her OnlyFans fame started hitting the airwaves, the theory started popping off from all angles. In most articles you read about Kat, she's described as living a double life. But she wasn't. Her job as a cam girl wasn't a secret. The link to it was posted on her Instagram account that had over 52,000 followers, as well as her Twitter account, and on both accounts, she posted photos of her in lingerie, photos that Jeff had taken of her for her social media and for her OnlyFans. Not only was this not a secret she kept from Jeff or really anyone else for that matter, it was something Jeff helped her with. Regardless, a lot of people seem to really start to victim shame Kat. That maybe her career choice was what got her killed. Maybe she was an escort. Maybe she was cheating on her husband and the mystery man killed her. Maybe she was cheating on her husband and he found out and her husband killed her. Maybe it was a crazed stalker fan or maybe it was an intruder. It didn't matter what the facts of the case were. It seemed like everyone was distracted by her career choice. So let's look at the facts. She was found across the street from her house. Her phone was found on the ground beside her and a green liquor bottle was found neatly placed on top of it. If she was bludgeoned and that bottle was the murder weapon, whoever it was wasn't worried about leaving the scene quickly. Instead, they took the time to neatly place it on top of her cell phone before exiting stage left. She was also nearly nude. It was common for Kat, as you can see in her photos, for her to wear lingerie in the house. Nudity wasn't something she was shy about, and honestly, it seemed to be kind of her comfort zone. She worked out regularly, had just gotten a breast augmentation six weeks prior, and for 42 looked damn good. Most people assume that finding a victim nude is an immediate red flag for sexual assault, but for Kat, being nearly nude wasn't uncommon. The uncommon thing here was that she was nude outside in the snow. Is it possible that she was comfortably nude in her house before something happened and she ran outside only to make it to her neighbor's yard before she was attacked? Everyone wants more information, and frankly, they low-key need it to knock off the incessant victim shaming you'll see when you Google her name, because I know you guys will. But the police weren't giving anything out. AL.com reports that the police aren't releasing any information in an effort to make sure that absolutely 0% of this investigation is compromised. And it sounds like they might be waiting for someone to slip up. With that news, the public picks up two main theories that stick around for the long haul. The first theory was that all of this was just an accident. I don't know how in the flaming farmhouse anyone concluded that a nearly naked woman found face down bludgeoned in the back of the head across the street from her house with a liquor bottle sitting neatly on top of her phone beside her is an accident. But they put two and two together, hit infinity and beyond, Buzz Lightyear'd this theory and took all logical reasoning and sent it off into orbit. The next theory was the most simple one, that her husband, Jeff, had done it. And with that, his social media accounts went poof. But not before the golden sluice of the interwebs took screenshots. Screenshots of a green bottle of Lucid brand absinthe that he'd posted the night before Kat was found. On January 20th, 2018, Kat's mom started a fundraiser to help pay for Kat's funeral. 
She wrote, My family asks for your prayers and support in our time of loss. My beautiful daughter, Kat, was not just my daughter, but a cherished wife to Jeff, as well as a loving mother to their daughter. So much negativity is out there, but with God, all I see and hear is the goodness of my cat. My family and I ask for your help in the services to lay our daughter to rest with the good Lord, to where she will be guiding her daughter and her husband through this. If you're not able to make a donation, we ask for prayers. And while everyone was supportive in donating, Kat's occupation continued to be a topic of discussion. One person posted, I'm sorry for your loss, regardless of what she did or didn't do. She lost her life, a child lost a mother, and a husband lost a wife. Prayers for your family. This was the first time that anyone from Kat's family spoke out. Jeff hadn't said a word, and that didn't help the public's perception of him. The community really seemed torn between this was because of Kat's double life, which wasn't really a double life at all, and Jeff did it. Thankfully, the police weren't playing the fiddle of the town bullshit. They were focused on Kat's case and determined to get answers. AL.com quotes the DA as saying, Calera Police Department continues to work tirelessly to gather both facts and evidence. They're not worried about the rumors, they're not worried about the drama, and they're not feeding into this toxic tornado of sexuality being frowned upon. Whether you agree with her profession or not, Kat was a grown woman making grown woman decisions and providing for her family because of it. The bottom line here is that she was murdered in only a sports bra in the snow, and the police were going to figure out who did it. On January 22nd, Kat was laid to rest and Jeff restored his Facebook account, but he had it on lockdown. However, he did make a post. To the public, our tragedy is juicy gossip and with the family reading all negative and unfounded comments, we have decided not to speak to any media outlets at this time because we don't want our tragedy to be public entertainment. Right now, we want to mourn in private and let the Calera Police Department do its job. And do their job, they will. The following day, NBC17 reports that a liquor store employee remembered seeing Kat and Jeff at their store the night before she was found. She said it looked like they were having a date night. So Inside Edition gets their running shoes on and heads over to the liquor store to check out the security footage. And lo and behold, there they are. Kat and Jeff looking happy as can be. Jeff even gives her a little tap on the butt and the two check out separately. Kat buys a green bottle of Lucid Absinthe, and Jeff buys a bottle of Jameson. A green bottle of Absinthe, you say? Like the green bottle of Absinthe Jeff posted to his Instagram sitting on his kitchen counter ready to be poured? Like the green bottle of Absinthe found neatly placed on top of Kat's phone beside her body? That would have to mean that whoever killed Kat had access to items in her house. And the plot thickens. Then it thickens a little more. You see, according to News.com, the police had no fucking clue that this video even existed until it was posted all over the news. And they got a little shit for that, but Jeff had failed to mention to them that they'd gone to the liquor store that night. He just told the police that they went out to dinner. Now, why wouldn't he want them to know that they just bought a green bottle of absinthe? 
Full speed ahead, the police haul ass to this liquor store to try and get a copy of the security footage and in their horror, find that it's been taped over. This liquor store gave the footage to Inside Edition, knowing they were looking into a murder and seemingly never contacted the police and proceeded to tape over it. But whatever, now we know Jeff's leaving shit out and we're back to the whiteboard of pictures, tape, and string lines because police work is exactly like Law & Order. The last sentence was a lie. The news continued circulating the information that a woman who touted herself as a stay-at-home mom was living a double life all over Kingdom Come, and the rumor mill was off in the atmosphere somewhere, and frankly, it had nowhere else to go. People tend to trust the news and believe what they read, unless it's politics. But when it comes to true crime, we really can only believe what we read. And all they were reading was about Kat's sexy photos and Amazon wishlist her fans could use to send her lingerie and a Sugar Daddy for Me account that was four years old. Finally, on September 6th, the police gave the public something to chew on. They essentially told AL.com that they were continuing to actively work the case and that they were making progress. That ultimately, it isn't about them giving information to the community or the media about what they're doing. That they have an objective and they're going to keep it professional and they can't do that if they're letting the killer know everything they have through the media. They continue on to say that six other law enforcement agencies and four of their own officers are working Kat's case, including two who are assigned only to her case. And he ends it with a little breadcrumb that they don't believe the public is at risk. Well, isn't that a little hint if I've ever seen one? When the police tell the public that they're not in danger after a homicide occurs, it generally means that this was a targeted attack and that they don't believe the killer has any plans to kill anyone else. And just three days later, the mayor himself tells ABC 3340 that he hopes to see an announcement made in the investigation within the next seven to ten days. He tells the station they're getting close. So the world counts down the days. Five days pass, seven days pass, ten days pass, damn it, twelve days pass, but on the thirteenth day, there was light. The last forensic and digital results had come back, and they had made an arrest. Everyone wondered who it was, and say it with me, y'all, the husband did it. Kat's 44-year-old husband, Jeff West, had been arrested for the murder of his wife and held on a $500,000 bond. Police held a press conference where they continued their whole not-releasing-much-information thing, and rightfully so, but let's read between the lines a little. They said that Kat was killed on the 12th. The liquor store footage was from 8.41 p.m., which means that Kat had been killed less than four hours after she left. A reporter at the press conference asked something about an argument, and their response was that they can't say what triggered the argument. So you're saying there was an argument? Law enforcement wraps up by saying that they know exactly what happened that night, and they have the evidence to back it up. On February 25th, one of Jeff's friends posted on Facebook that all of this was just an alcohol-induced incident— that he's talked to Jeff in length, and that more information, true facts, will be coming out in the upcoming days. And while his use of the term true facts is compelling, I'd love to know how Jeff would know that this was an alcohol-induced incident if he was sleeping like he told the responding officers he was. This is the point in the case where things get really weird. Both Jeff's parents and Kat's parents 
think the police arrested the wrong guy. Jeff's father does an interview with Melanie Posey from WBRC and says that the police thought it was him from the beginning and got pissed when Jeff lawyered up. He claims that they lied to Jeff a few times and then rambles on about something related to Jeff's phone. What's interesting, though, is that the police only talked to Jeff twice after Kat was killed. And according to AL.com, the police noted that he didn't seem very upset. Jeff's dad tells Melanie Posey that he thinks that Kat just got drunk, passed out, and hit her head. Sure, she ran out into the snow in only her bra, passed out, hit the back of her head, rolled over, and instead of calling anyone for help, placed a bottle of absinthe on top of her phone and then died. You see how ridiculous that sounds. On January 26, Jeff's attorney speaks to NBC News and reiterates the idea that Jeff was sleeping when the neighbors found Kat's body and then talks about his client organized Kat's funeral as if that somehow makes him innocent. I mean, if he didn't plan the funeral, who would? He tells the station that Jeff was aware of Kat's profession and okay with it, but added that there are a lot of creeps out there. First of all, Jeff wasn't just aware and okay with Kat's profession. He took a lot of the photos for her. Second of all, are we not talking about this being an accident anymore? Are we going with the crazed stalker fan theory now? A crazed stalker fan who had access to the liquor on their kitchen counter? Who took the time to put that bottle on top of her phone after killing her? I'm just trying to keep up since we're in save our ass mode. His attorney does another interview on March 5th with CBS 42 where he brings up the fact that Jeff has no criminal record as if all criminals don't have a clean record until they have a criminal one. He tells the station that he's yet to see the police reports or the autopsy report. So basically, this guy's flying blind and has no idea what evidence law enforcement had at this point. On March 15th, 2018, we find out through AL.com that Jeff had been formally indicted by a grand jury, but that grand jury had actually taken place back on March 7th. Jeff's attorney had his frowny face on when he heard about it. AL.com reports on him as saying, apparently the state's afraid to subject its evidence to the scrutiny of cross-examination. Basically, he's saying that he wanted a preliminary exam instead of a grand jury. In a grand jury proceeding, the evidence is presented to, well, a grand jury, and they decide whether or not there's enough probable cause. In a preliminary exam, the evidence is presented to a judge, the defense can cross-examine, and the judge makes the decision. Frankly, they're both perfectly fine and fair ways to establish probable cause for a charge, and I think insulting a grand jury proceeding is insulting the entire juror system, which dude's going to be relying on when his client goes to trial, which he is. On April 9, 2018, Jeff entered a not guilty plea and his attorney tried to get his bond reduced, which was denied. AL.com reports that Kat's own mother was upset that it wasn't reduced, saying that she thinks Kat just fell because she fell all the time and would get drunk and jump on the trampoline with all of her clothes off. She said that Jeff didn't kill her daughter and that he was a good man who loved her and that they even had matching tattoos, because apparently matching tattoos are the antidote. She goes on to say that Jeff and their daughter have been living with them since Kat's murder and that she trusts him with her whole heart. I can't be the only one wanting to yell for Kat and let her know that at least I'm in her corner. You've got me because Kat's mom is essentially blaming her daughter for her own death, which the police have literally charged someone with. 
And Jeff's mom can't stop herself either. Kat and Jeff's mom are basically besties at this point in the fight for justice for Jeff. And according to AL.com, went as far as to say that Jeff wasn't jealous of Kat's occupation because he knew she was sick and needed the attention. Her husband has literally been charged with her murder, and we're talking about how noble the alleged killer is because the murdered victim was sick and needed attention. Let's pick apart this bingo Barbie bullshit for a second. Her mom said she liked to jump on the trampoline naked. Okay, no one, and I repeat, no one, is jumping on a trampoline six weeks after getting breast augmentation surgery, and anyone who's had it done can attest to that, including myself. None of that matters, though, because Kat wasn't found on the trampoline. She wasn't found in her backyard. She wasn't even found in her front yard. She was found across the street, halfway into the neighbor's yard, face down with her head towards her house with a blunt force injury to the back of her head. The assistant DA further disproved this theory by finally giving one more breadcrumb. Kat's blood was found on the bottle of absinthe that was sitting on top of her phone. So what now? Did she fall onto the bottle of absinthe while outside nearly naked, then roll over and place the bottle on her phone instead of using it to call for help and then die? I wish I could tell you that this new information changed every single speck of Kat and Jeff's mom's perception of what happened that night, but it didn't, and the Kat victim-blaming show continued at warp speed. WBRC did an interview with both moms, and in it, Jeff's mom says that Kat was an alcoholic who would binge drink to get rip-roaring drunk. If that's the case, why did your son go with her to buy absinthe and Jameson the night of the 12th? Kat's mom says that her daughter apparently went to AA for some time, but she wasn't told that. Okay, so who did tell you that? And when? And why? Because this new information seems awfully convenient for the narrative both of these families are trying to paint. Next, Jeff's mom, of course, reveals that Kat was bipolar, and throughout the interview kept interjecting that Kat was bipolar. Can somebody tell me what being bipolar has to do with being murdered? Because, again, I'm trying to keep up. The two moms talked to WBRC about Jeff's fingerprints being on the bottle, which is news to everyone else, but not exactly shocking. I mean, they bought it together and probably drank it together, but where his fingerprints were on the bottle could be important. Were they holding it like you would if you were pouring a drink, or were they holding it like you would if you were using it as a weapon? They also claim that Jeff's phones were tapped based on the police knowing something that no one else should have known, which, if true, I'm here for. One of the reporters asked Kat's mom what she thought Kat would say if she were here. And I shit you not, she said that she thinks her daughter would say, I screwed up. Y'all better buckle me in because I'm about to fall out of this chair and onto the floor. This case went silent after that trashnado of an interview while everyone waited for Jeff's trial. And after being rescheduled 1,100 times, it finally started in November of 2020. Yes, I said 2020, almost three years after Kat was killed, and AL.com covered this trial like none other. The first witness to testify was the 19-year-old neighbor who called 911. They played the 911 recording, and wouldn't you know, she says that she sees a man in a house across the street with all of the lights on and the door open, and he's pacing back and forth. Wait a minute. 
I thought Jeff was asleep until the dogs woke him up because the police were there. The police were just being called at this point and the neighbor was relaying real-time information about him being in the house with all the lights on and the front door open and seeing him pacing back and forth. AL.com reports about the next bit of evidence discussed in the trial, which was that bottle of absinthe. The cork of that bottle had been found a little further away from Kat's body, and it didn't look like any of it had been spilled. In fact, it was mostly full. If she was drunk and fell on the bottle that was uncorked, certainly it would be empty, right? And if you're drunk enough to pass out and hit your head on an absinthe bottle in your neighbor's yard, you're probably too drunk to play Django with the bottle in your phone, right? The bottle was also chipped and had Kat's blood on it. And while it had Kat's blood on it, it also had Jeff's fingerprints on it. And the fingerprints were in the position of holding the bottle upside down by the neck. You know, like maybe you would if you were swinging it at someone. A lot of Jeff's sympathizers wanted to point out that he was right-handed and the prints were from his left hand, but frankly, the prints were his. Left hand, right hand, hand belongs to Jeff. Remember that matchbox we briefly mentioned in the beginning that was found near her body? Well, it was the matchbox at the restaurant the two had gone to on the night of the 12th, and a matching matchbox was also found in Jeff's vehicle. Next, they talked about the ADT system the Wests had in their house that registered every door and when it was opened and closed. It opened for 10 seconds at 10.53 p.m. It opened again at 1.51 a.m. on the 13th and stayed open until 4.12 a.m. There were some other times mentioned, but frankly, they got a little hard to follow. The bottom line here was that he told police that he had gone to bed at 10.30 in the guest bedroom while Kat stayed up, and hadn't left the house for any reason. But the last movement Kat's phone registered were 87 steps at 10.54 p.m., one minute after the door was opened for 10 seconds and then nothing. But here we have that front door opening at 1.51 a.m. and staying open for a little over two hours in the Alabama snow before being shut by someone, all while Jeff claims he was asleep. Next on the stand was one of Jeff's friends and co-workers, and AL.com reported that he testified that Jeff told him that he was asleep on the couch while Kat stayed up. Jeff also happened to tell his friends and the police that sometimes Kat liked to walk around barefoot and jump on the trampoline when she was drunk, and maybe she hit her head on the trampoline bar. But the trampoline bar didn't have blood on it. There was no blood trail from their yard to where she was found in the neighbor's yard, but the bottle certainly had Kat's blood on it, and so did a towel found in their master bathroom. Oh, and a tank top found in the laundry basket. Kat didn't bleed in the house. Her blood was nowhere else. No evidence of her blood was found anywhere else in their house. The only other blood found near her body was actually in the neighbor's yard. So how did a towel and a tank top with her blood on it get inside the house? Next up in AL.com's incredible coverage of this trial, they talked about the injury that killed her, the blunt force trauma to the head. A forensic pathologist testified that the injury to her head was so significant that it was unlikely her injury came from a fall. 
Cat was only 5'2 and maybe 110 pounds, and the pathologist testified that the wound to her head would have taken a considerable amount of force. They testified that Cat was hit so hard that the force of the blow and the bleeding on her brain pushed her brain into her brain stem, and she died. She would have lost consciousness immediately and wouldn't have been able to play Legos with that bottle in her phone after being hit with it. Jeff was actually supposed to testify on his own behalf, but changed his mind. However, Kat's mom certainly testified on Jeff's behalf when she told the court how big of a drinker her daughter was. Jeff's family and Kat's family sat in that courtroom together as a unified team. In the closing arguments, the prosecution said that they think Kat and Jeff got into an argument on the night of the 12th and that he threw her phone into the street when the door opened at 10.53 p.m., noting that her phone was cracked. They think she then ran into the street to get it, wearing only her bra, and when she did, he grabbed the absinthe bottle, followed her out there, and hit her with it, killing her. The defense, on the other hand, said that Kat fell and hit her head. The end. On November 20th, 2020, the jury was sent out to deliberate and were given three options. Intentional murder, reckless manslaughter, or not guilty. And it took them five whole hours to come to a decision. The jury found Jeff West guilty of reckless manslaughter, which means that they believe he recklessly engaged in conduct that caused the death of Cat, either in the heat of passion or by provocation. His sentencing hearing was on February 8, 2021, and he maintained his innocence while Cat's mom asked for leniency. According to AL.com, the judge legitimately said, in my opinion, she'd ignored the evidence in this case. He also responded to the incessant references to Jeff's previous military career and lack of criminal record, saying, We don't drag people into courts of law to try them for who they are. We drag people into courts of law and try them for what they did. Our law is designed to punish people not for who they are, but for what they do. In this case, the jury found you to be responsible for your wife's death. They imposed that responsibility on you. You were afforded the opportunity to accept responsibility for causing your wife's death. You have, for your own reasons, taken the position that you don't intend to do that. So the jury had to do that for you. He added, I do believe with the jury that it is your reckless acts that caused her death. And with that, Jeff was sentenced to a whopping 16 years in jail with three years of time served. So 13 years. And if you calculate in good behavior, who knows how early Jeff could get out. Throughout this entire case, people seem to forget about Kat. They remembered her job. They remembered what Jeff's and her own family had said about her. But they forgot about Kat. Kat mattered. Kat was a proud, doting mother. She was a proud former military wife. She was proud of herself. She worked an unconventional job according to society standards. But because of that unconventional job, her family wanted for nothing. Kat was kind. Kat was full of love. And her existence was full of value, which was drowned out by the character assassination that everyone seemed to hold out on until she was a victim of homicide. As a society, let's do better. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Kat's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about her case and the bonus episode that came out today on Patreon. 
If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, which is today. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 